from Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. In order to go through and understand the emissions and sources of emissions from every part of your operations and your supply, you have to have unilateral support from your entire leadership team. That's part of the reason why uh, the, the role needed to sit on the CEO's team is so that the CEO can activate the business. That was Justin Whitmore, Chief Sustainability Officer at Tyson Foods. He sat down with GreenBiz Editorial Director Heather Clancy at GreenBiz 19 in Phoenix, Arizona. They discussed the future of sustainable food systems and why that needs to include alternative protein sources. Let's listen in. I have the honor of presenting Justin Whitmore. He's the Chief Sustainability Officer for Tyson Foods. And actually, he has a new Executive Vice President title, uh, Executive Vice President of Alternative Proteins, which is kind of a cool title, right? <laughs> so I actually um, would be remiss if I didn't ask you what that new role will entail, and I'm sure you're not going to be able to disclose all the details here on stage, but what is the vision behind that new title? Like, what's, what's the deal here? Well, given it's day two, I can't talk <laughs> uh, a whole lot about the uh, products we'll launch or the size of the business of those things. But what I can say is I think it's a big deal that one of the largest food companies in the world is going to have a direct report to the CEO completely focused on building out an alternative proteins business which I think is, is a, a big signal from Tyson and a big signal about the potential of, of this uh, market, uh, both from a sustainability perspective and also from an economic perspective. And ultimately, if you think about what sustainability is, it's elevating the social and environmental implications of your decisions right alongside the economic. It becomes a great uh, proving ground for what this kind of business should look like at a large food company. Mm -hmm. uh, additionally, um, not giving up any of the responsibility on enterprise uh, sustainability. Our core businesses that are in meat, so think beef, chicken, turkey, pork, have to reinvent and reimagine the way we work and how we work with our farmers in major ways, and that work doesn't go away. So the future of food and food systems is actually going to be about how you bring all these things forward in a way that people can trust and that uh, allow businesses to survive and thrive for a long time. Yeah, I just want to build on something you just mentioned because you do report directly to the CEO, um, and you, you did in your previous role as well, but you also had a CEO transition very recently. So how did that impact your role? Um, obviously, you're getting on more responsibilities, but talk to me about how you handle a transition like that. Well, I, for me, and it's always a big deal when you have a leadership change, whether it's the CEO or it's in your division or part of the company, you always have to think through what the, the new vision will be, what the new elements are going to be that you work on. And the fun thing, or the great thing, is our new CEO, Noel White, has been a part of our entire sustainability journey, and our path hasn't changed at all. In fact, I think you can see by this recent announcement, in fact, it's accelerating in many ways. So uh, it's been great. Noel's been a fantastic partner, and he recognizes the importance of how Tyson uh, needs to accelerate our uh, investment and the kind of impact we have if we're going to be able to serve our customers the way we want to yeah. down the line. Yeah. So it's been great. Now, last year, I believe you were the first food company to do this, but you got together with your team and, and with the executive team at Tyson and decided to commit to science-based targets and to make that part of your program and, and commitment to progress and moving forward um, and being better stewards of the, of the environment while still 
you know, running a very big business. Right. What drove that decision, the, the decision to make that really deep commitment um, to science-based targets, and then how did you start operationalizing that? You know, like what did you start doing internally to put that in motion? Yeah, so the first part of your question, it's a big fundamental, uh, I think, strategic question. There's two things that seemingly are diametrically opposed. One is, in our purpose as a company, we're saying we want to feed the world. And two, in, in order to feed the world, we have to acknowledge and make very different investments in order to reduce the environmental and many other impacts in our supply chain that impact the world. Climate change is a real factor that is posing an existential threat to how we live, how communities live, how we organize, where we live, what we do. And in order for us to feed the world, we have to do it in a way that acknowledges and makes progress in significant ways against that second part that I mentioned. And you can't do anything without measuring. Mm -hmm. So we partnered with WRI, was connected with the uh, Science-Based Climate uh, Initiative, uh, with CDP and WWF and uh, the UN uh, Global Compact, and we said, let's measure the opportunity, let's define it scope one, two, and three, and then that allows us to set uh, the appropriate targets in line with our responsibility in the marketplace. And the second part of your question is now we're working on uh, programs, whether they're renewable energy. Uh, we have a program we launched recently with uh, Environmental Defense Fund, My Farms and Farmers Business Network that I'm happy to talk about that's yeah. focused on soil health. There's a variety of factors that fall out from setting the target and knowing where you're going to go over a long yeah. period. So what is the specific target? So 30% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. Uh, scope one and two, absolute reduction. Scope three, intensity-based reduction. Right, and so who was involved, I mean, obviously not just your team, but who was involved in figuring out that that was the number to work towards? So it, it, WRI, and we have partnerships. Uh, well, with, yeah, I'm also wanting to know the internal answer. You know? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Our entire company, in order to go through, uh, our entire leadership team, in order to go through and understand the emissions and sources of emissions from every part of your operations and your supply, you have to have unilateral support from your entire leadership team. That's part of the reason why uh, the, the role needed to sit on the CEO's team is so that the CEO could activate the business in going out and identifying where the gaps are and also building plans uh, against solving them. So it's been a, a, a company-wide effort. I remember when we first met last year that you were on the, in the process of going out and visiting a lot of sites uh, locally. So aside from the executive level buy-in and, and information that you were gathering, how are you gathering information from the people really doing the job day in and out, out right so, there on the front line? So to say it as an I would be uh, ridiculous because of the scale and scope of Tyson Foods. We have uh, hundreds of people on our environmental team, environmental scientists and engineers, uh, that, and we have uh, significant, we have an animal well-being uh, specialist team. Uh, we have grain services teams that both work with our internal feed supply and with our uh, farming uh, base and, and also suppliers mm -hmm. that supply us feed. Mm -hmm. So there is a broad coalition of people within Tyson that are, are dedicated to this work. And uh, part of that for me is absolutely going out and learning as much as possible, as quickly as possible from the people who actually drive the change. It's not a suit at a corporation. It's going to be a farmer on the ground that has to uh, 
think about whether I use split nitrogen application this year or not, or whether I'm going to plant a cover crop, and am I going to get paid by uh, uh, whether it's Tyson or others for that activity. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that drive the change. And we have, uh, fortunately enough, the scale to work with many different people, and, and that's exciting part of the process. Yeah, so aside from your science-based target, and I'm looking here because I have to remember the number, um, you announced a land stewardship initiative, um, and you're committing to improved environmental practices, and you can speak to that in a moment, on two million acres of corn by the end of 2020. So, yeah. what does that mean exactly? So the fo focus of the work to start is on uh, nitrogen utilization in row crop farms. So I referenced this a bit earlier where uh, I have a partnership with EDF, Farmers yeah. Business Network, and My Farms to work with agronomists at the farm level to encourage farmers to adopt uh, practices like split nitrogen application, cover crops, uh, use of nitrogen stabilizers. There's several other practices that we're uh, encouraging, and we're going to actually track at the field level using uh, my farms and farmers business networks. Cloud-based technology allows us to aggregate information uh, that the farmers will allow us to have, and then we can use that to test what actual processes improved actual emissions, soil health. Uh, waste or water or crop runoff into water streams. Mm -hmm. And so this is a big step in our industry because you have a processor that's going all the way to the farm level. We buy this grain for the most part to try and encourage new behaviors in the supply chain. And then uh, hopefully that will lead to more sweeping changes over time. Now our pilots are in 500,000 acres. That's what we've launched so far. Our goal is to get to 2 million acres by 2020. That's so we're quick. really... Yeah. Uh, being aggressive, and we'll want to report on this transparently so that if we're at 1.5 million or if we're at 500 in two years, we want people to know where we're at and why. Uh, so I think that's a big part of the journey we're on, too, is talking about it more openly rather than uh, waiting sort of for everything to get baked before we start talking externally. The, the um, response from the farmers, how has that been? Well, I think uh, farmers, first of all, are going to care about, is this going to help me improve my yield? Are we going to get paid for this? And is this uh, some sort of corporate program or is this fundamental to how we need to start engaging with Tyson? Right. And that's why we're starting small on a pilot basis so that we can work with uh, farmers that are interested in adopting these practices and then develop an approach that we can scale more broadly. But in the end, uh, farmers want to know that Tyson Foods is looking out for them and their interests. Mm -hmm. And that's critical to us. And so part of that is helping them get value, get paid for these new practices as well, which is a, a big step that I'm excited that we're investing behind. So you mentioned digital technology, obviously, this part of this, this land stewardship initiative. Um, another big theme at the conference has been transparency and supply chain, right? Mm -hmm. So how is Tyson using digital technology um, to help sort of improve the transparency about, for example, things like animal welfare, safety, et cetera? Clearly something that people want to know more about. Yeah, so within our supply chain, uh, we have the ability to track where all our products are very quickly and easily. However, for a customer or ultimately a consumer, getting that instant access has been very opaque over time. It's very hard for people to know, where did my food come from? What practices were being used? So we've made a couple of big investments recently. One has been in a pilot with blockchain and IBM, uh, several other retailers, where we're looking at applications of that uh, blockchain technology in our supply chain 
that can perhaps help us more effectively quick, quick, and quickly track the material and share that information quickly to a larger audience like our customers. We've also invested in a company called FoodLogic. This is a startup that we think is very promising. Their application can actually bolt on to blockchain over time. This is something that you would give a retailer or a food service customer that allows them instant access into what's happening in your supply chain. So for example, if you go to a restaurant, the person at the restaurant can tell you where your chicken or your meat came from, what practices were being used, and you can feel very confident because that data has been tied all the way into our supply chain. Now, all of this is nascent. This is early days, but I think it's exciting to see these big companies like Tyson Foods start thinking much more aggressively about how we can use data to help create uh, transparency for everybody who's eating out there. How does the, you know, supply chain get that technology? I mean, like that, some, of that, some of those investments are expensive. Um, they require IT infrastructure updates and so forth. So how does Tyson play a role in helping get that technology to the farmer, to the field, et cetera, or and to the different yeah. suppliers involved? Well, uh, the three, three things there. The first is, and this is what we're doing in our My Farms and Farmers Business Network uh, pilot, is you identify the companies and partners that are already doing this and have worked on this for a considerable amount of time that have the capability to go out and measure. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's key. There's partnerships, whether it's retailers uh, at the farm level, whether it's agronomists, or whether it's companies that are partnering with those groups that have the, the technolo technological acumen as one. I think, two, there over time will have to be significant investment in partnerships with producers, with ranchers, with farmers on, here's how you use our technology. We have to invest to, to train, and they have to sort of have the opportunity to come and learn, which will take which will come over time as generations shift, as succession plans happen on farms. You'll have increasingly more people out there that are, have much higher acumen with some of this stuff. And I think third, don't underestimate what's already happening. There are thousands of farmers out there today that are using this technology, figuring it out, and that can be the people that share best practices in a region or in a community that can help uh, launch these things as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a variety of, of forces at play to help, and I don't think Technology is, the, uh, is necessarily the answer. It's a means of measurement. It's a means of understanding that uh, ultimately it's the practices that farmers have been deploying, in many cases for years, that we really want to encourage. And I think that doesn't have to necessarily get, get t we don't have to slow one down for the other yeah. as well. Many of these investments are being made first in the United States, or, or, or okay, so yes, what about so, your global? So we are, a, at this point, a uh, largely domestic U.S.-focused company, but we do export to over 120 countries around the world, and we have recently made acquisitions in uh, Malaysia, Singapore, South Korea, Australia, Netherlands, uh, United Kingdom, and so Tyson is increasing its global presence uh, as 90% of protein demand is going to come, growth is going to come outside of the U.S. Yep. Um, over the next 10, uh, 15 years. So we have to ensure that our practices that we're deploying in the U.S. are applicable around the world. But the starting point for these pilots, the 500,000 acres I talked about earlier, that's here in the Midwestern part of, mm -hmm. of our country. We learn and scale from there. So Tyson has something called the Innovation Lab. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things you're doing um, with these programs are in part 
large part meant to mitigate risk, the risks yeah. of the future, right? The material things that could, could affect your business. But there's also opportunity for innovation mm -hmm. in moving forward with things like alternative proteins. So what is the role of the innovation lab at Tyson? Well, it's, it's interesting. Big food companies have a large R&D teams and culinary teams that are producing products. And it uh, increasingly trying to find the next breakthrough idea or the next phase of growth has been more challenging for these companies, uh, despite the great work of these teams. And so you're seeing startups create momentum around new ideas and new products that are born digital, that have sustainable operations at the core of who they are. And so uh, a company like ours, we, we decided, hey, let's invest in building a startup within Tyson Foods. Let's bring a cross-section of capabilities from supply chain to finance to uh, culinary to R&D, and then give them the license to create new businesses. And in fact, my new job, the alternative proteins job, is one that was incubated inside of our innovation lab within the company. So this startup mm -hmm. developed uh, products, developed concepts, uh, helped launch something that we now say, hey, this is going to be one of the top priorities for our company over the coming years, and now let's establish a group around this team. Uh, we've also, in this innovation lab, launched a product called Yapa. This is a product that's a crisp that's made from materials that are uh, generally go wasted in our supply chain. Uh, and it's a protein uh, crisp, uh, like uh, the remain, think about chicken or spent grain, uh, which we partner with um, uh, Molson Coors actually to get some of the spent grain that's in their supply chain. It's a great tasting product, and the core of that business is how do we solve food waste in our supply chain mm -hmm. with something that's healthy, delicious, tastes good, and then Yapa emerged from there. So it's just a couple of examples from the innovation lab. So that does Yapa actually about. have a product on the market? Yes. Okay. And Yapa. is that in the United I think States? You can get it on. Yeah, it's in the United okay. States. I okay. think you probably can get it on Amazon. Uh, fresh, actually, if you want now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's actually available. You can buy it now. We launched it this year. The yeah. Innovation Lab has also made some interesting investments. In so yeah, you're getting now into the complications of big companies. We, uh, had a, we have a venture capital arm ah. um, that is separate from the Innovation Lab. Okay. Uh, so the Innovation Lab is sort of our investment in our own startup. Okay. Uh, we also invest in startups as well. So we've made investments in the alternative protein space uh, uh, beyond meat. We've invested in uh, uh, cultured meat, which is much further out. Memphis Meats and a company called Future Meat. Uh, we've also invested in Food Logic, the startup I referenced earlier, uh, and a company called Tovala, which is a connected kitchen uh, product that uh, is based out of Chicago. So we are sort of canvassing the landscape for for where there are great uh, companies that we can invest in and, and looking to learn and potentially grow those businesses mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. So as far as those investments, I mean, like what's, I think people might be scratching their head, why would, why would you inve um, invest in those companies? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So I've, a few things. Uh, number one, if you, th I'm just take alternative proteins, for example. Uh, would we experience a great degree of Incredul incredulity, I'm going to mess that word up, and people that are incredulous uh, on the, in our farming community because a lot of the conversation about alternative proteins has been about replacing their jobs, replacing what they do every day. Um, oftentimes, people think it's actually going to impact the big food companies, and it will if those companies aren't thoughtful in their strategy. But the entire supply chain from sourcing to 
um, to actually packaging, producing, delivering to a customer. It's something that Tyson does today. Yeah. And so the reality is Tyson can really grow that business probably at a rate much faster than many of the smaller players if done right. And so what we have to do is actually convince farmers that, and this is the truth, that alternative proteins is part of an and. It's the future of food will include meat-based alternatives, and so we have to think about how we make that sustainable, and it will include alternative proteins, because uh, in order to feed the world and do it sustainably, we're gonna have to improve across a variety of options. So this is one in there where we have to ensure that farmers understand that we're still there for them and not turning our backs on them in an effort to invest in something that's gonna put them out of business. Right. On the other side, we have people that have spent a long time being very frustrated with big food companies like Tyson. Right, when I get up here and talk, you may be feeling like, ah, what's the BS on this guy, right? There's, a, there's that energy that you may have about big food is really just seeking to make profits. They're just trying to extract, and so this is a cover, or this is not really what they're fundamentally gonna be about. So we have to talk to them as well about the fact that we have to both protect farmers and protect the environment, and that requires us to invest in a variety of different ways. So I don't mean to give up. A long answer to that, except to say that the tension points on the people who have some of the largest voices are extreme, and we have to create a shared vision about what we're trying to do, which is create a food system that works for the world and helps feed people in a way that will allow the next generation to thrive. And that means companies like Tyson have to lead if we're going to scale quickly, in my, excuse me, in my opinion. And that's, I think, the exciting part about my job and what we're trying to figure out. Well, Justin, thank you for joining us today. Please thank Justin. You've been listening to Justin Whitmore and Heather Clancy discuss sustainable food systems at GreenBiz19 in Phoenix, Arizona. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz350 our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. From all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.